Uh, we're going to continue in our series in the parables of Jesus. And so we're obviously here for uh, the summer. And what would a summer series be is one that might not build as much on the prior weeks, knowing that people are going to be in and out for vacation and whatnot. And so uh, we started last time with the parable of the sower, uh, where the sower goes out and seed is falling on various kinds of of soil, but in these parables, Jesus is talking about. Uh, he said he talks about the secret of the kingdom. Then he talked about the word of the kingdom. And earlier in the book of Matthew, because we're going to be in Matthew 13 again, he talks about the gospel of the kingdom. Now, when we talk about the gospel, we often think about uh, the gospel or the good news of salvation, and that's definitely. Uh, gospel, but it's interesting that Matthew talks about the gospel of the kingdom, that it's not just or merely or only salvation of individuals from their sin by the work of Jesus, but it is also Jesus coming as king and ruling and reigning over all things. So, so when Jesus uses these parables, and as we're going to keep going, uh, we're going to use all of these to describe what the kingdom looks like and what life looks like in the kingdom, that it really is not just simply about salvation, but about his rule and reign. So there's different ways in uh, Matthew and, and the Gospels that the kingdom is described. So the phrase, the kingdom of God, there's another phrase, the kingdom of heaven. We're going to see another one in our passage, the kingdom of their father. They're simply different phrases to describe the same thing. There has been much ink spilt to try to explain the difference between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of their father. And uh, as you read Matthew, it's like they're talking about the same thing. It's just different phrases to describe the kingdom of of God. So we're going to be in Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Would you stand as God would lay out his word for us today, uh, that he is the one that is speaking. Uh, we long to hear from him and submit to his word. So hear this, that he put uh, another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then uh, jump down to verse 36, and this is where Jesus begins to explain this parable. He says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. 
The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out, his, out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. God, would you, by your spirit, allow your word not merely to be words written on a page or words that we study today. God, would they be words from you, the living God. Uh, Words of life, words of salvation, words of your rule and reign in this world. God, words that remind us that we need a king. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, minister deeply to us by it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Don't know if you uh, enjoy election nights or not, uh, but either way, if you are paying attention at all on election night, uh, especially on presidential election nights, you know, there's all the talk of the map of the United States and blue states and red states and electoral votes and states yet to be decided and, uh, you know, what, where are they going to go and how is it going to be? Everybody's wondering if their side is winning, right? Uh, you know, when it's a landslide election, uh, you know, simply a quick look at the map will let you know that. It's all one color or another with, with a little bit of sprinkling in the middle. Uh, growing up, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, this was the first election I remember, Ronald Reagan just absolutely dominated Walter Mondale. And it was like, even as a fifth grader, it was like, yeah, I can tell who won that thing. Uh, it was like completely, uh, completely skewed one way. Uh, but those close elections, right? Those close elections are tricky. You know, are we winning? Uh, will we win? And I'm purposely using we, by the way. Uh, you know, we kind of all reason from that perspective. You know, we're looking uh, at the vote tally to tell us. And it's interesting, you know, if we get enough votes and we feel good about the election. But if you apply that same logic of kind of the counting measures to how the world is going, it's really easy to become discouraged, right? Think about all of what's going on in our world, right? A redefining uh, of sexuality and what it means, greed, deceit, wars, uh, you know, the list could go on and on and on. And if you start doing the math on it or taking tallies of, of like good things compared to horrific things or catastrophic things, you know, our discouragement can easily come when we look at life in a way like we look at an election. We look at the scales. So there's more good than bad. Is there more, uh, more of what is evidently of God or not? But I would submit to you, I'm not totally sure that's how God is saying for us to look at the world. How does God view all those things in the world that we just listed. 
Does God think that evil has won? Does God think that evil is winning? In a sense, there's two ways to look at it. Two ways to look at the world. First, you could say that the kingdom is failing because of the presence of evil. That's one way to look at it. Evil is here, therefore evil is winning. Or you could say another way that the kingdom is growing despite opposition. Which would you think is biblical? I would submit that it's the second. That the perspective that Jesus is laying out for us in this parable is that idea that the kingdom is growing despite opposition. Despite the presence of evil. Despite the evil one. Jesus teaches us why that's the proper perspective. And so what we see is this, the the current characteristics of the kingdom. Because I think we wonder, all right, Jesus came as king. He's ushering in his kingdom. Therefore, all evil ought to be driven out immediately. That would be him reigning and ruling as a king. But this parable sets a series of things that are uh, kind of like set against each other. There's good seed and then seed that brings about weeds, right? The owner of, and the, or the farmer compared to the enemy. Uh, there's the present and the future. Uh, the people of God and then those who belong to the evil one. And in verse 37 and, and leading into 38, look there, that the one, it says the one who sows the good seed is whom? Is the son of man, basically the, the na- a name for Jesus, and the field is the world. And so what Jesus is describing is the kingdom not simply uh, being for the church, Or the kingdom, not simply among God's people. He says the kingdom is the world. And Jesus came to rule over all things. Yet, what do we know from this parable? We know that the enemy is active. Okay, So the current characteristics right now of the kingdom is that the enemy is still at work. Uh, We see it in verse 25. His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the servants are asking, this is in the parable side of things, when the servants notice those weeds and ask about them, uh, what is Jesus' answer that that the farmer or the owner said? He said, an enemy has done this. Basically, the weeds pop up. And in that day, uh, there, there was a... There was a weed that was kind of like a ryegrass, but it also had like poisonous black seeds that grew up. But early on in its growth, it was indistinguishable from wheat. You could only tell, was it wheat or was was it the weed as it matured? So early on in early growth, sprouting and early growth, you had no way of telling. Was it wheat or was it the bad stuff? And, and so this is what's going on. This is what Jesus is describing. Uh, Jesus interprets this parable in the second half of 38 and verse 39. He says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So remember that Jesus is describing the kingdom of God in this world. So in the kingdom at least right now, the presence of the evil one is permitted by God. That he is active in the world still. He's allowed to disrupt 
He's even allowed to make the growth of God's kingdom more difficult. So, so don't fall for the trap that if Jesus came as a king, therefore all evil would be eradicated immediately. And then people say, because evil is still here, Jesus must not be king. That is erroneous logic, because Jesus teaches the exact opposite. Jesus teaches the evil one is active, and he is disrupting things, and he is causing the growth of the kingdom to be difficult. Got it? But then he goes on, he's, that the rebellious still remain. That it's not just that the enemy is active. In the second half of 38, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So not only does God allow Satan to be active as his kingdom is being established, as Jesus' kingdom is being established, but the ones who are not his people are permitted to remain as well. What does Jesus say in the parable portion? Let both grow together until the harvest. Let the weeds and the wheat grow until the harvest, basically until they mature. Uh, and that's why, because that, in, in that sense where they were indistinguishable, you didn't want to pull up good, the good wheat when you were trying to bring about and get rid of the weeds. And so God actually allows the weeds to be in the, in the midst of the good seed, his sons of the kingdom, to steal water, to steal nutrients, to actually hinder their growth. But they will be separated at harvest. And this tends to confound people, right? You know, like, well, if God is allowing people to, re- to persist, allowing people to remain, allowing things to go- keep going, then he obviously must be okay with them. That's kind of the, the, the logic, and, and that's simply untrue. Don't mistake in God's patience. Don't mistake in God's allowing something to keep going for his permission or his acceptance. God is often a patient God in the midst of seeing his kingdom established. And so what we see is the current characteristics are the evil one is still active and the, uh, the rebellious are still in the mix and still remain. And so then, so that's the current, but then Jesus flips the script, and he flips the script to the future consummation of the kingdom. Uh, in the future consummation of the kingdom, we see that, uh, sorry, I was holding my place in another passage, I need to get back here. Um, we see that as, as he turns to, to verse, uh, the second half of this, uh, of this parable. Sorry, didn't have my verse written down. Because he's going from the current day of having the weeds growing and all this stuff, and then he starts to talk about the harvest. Because current day is what's going on now. The harvest is a future. And if you go down to the part where he is interpreting this parable, uh, in verse 40, what you see is just as the weeds are gathered Uh, and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. And so this idea of the end of the age is, do you remember our eschatology class that we looked at together? We looked at uh, this age, as Jesus talks about, and then the age to come. And so the end of the age is 
where we are living right now, in this period of time from Jesus' first coming until his second coming. And what he says is at the end of the age, the reapers will come and there will be a harvest. And he says the angels are the ones that will harvest. What is the harvest? Harvest is judgment day. Harvest uh, is at the end of this age, at this period of history, when Jesus returns, there will be a day when everyone stands before him as a righteous judge. And there will be a day when he, when he separates the sons of the kingdom from the sons of the evil one. And the idea, uh, that phrase, sons of, is those who belong to. Uh, it, it's, so those who belong to, uh, to him, uh, to the Lord, and those who belong uh, to the enemy. There will be a separation. There will be a judgment. There will be a discerning. And so how will you know? Will you go and enjoy? Uh, will you go and enjoy uh, eternity with the living God? Or will you be ones that are described in that next part where evil is driven out? It's, it's interesting. In verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom, meaning out of the world, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So you're just saying, okay, what's a lawbreaker? Anyone that sins against the word and the law of God is a lawbreaker. That would be every single one of us in this room. That would be every single one of us in this world. So if all of us are lawbreakers, how in the world would we become sons of the kingdom? How would we be children of the kingdom? And that's where the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus on our behalf and receiving that by faith is so crucial. Why we have people stand up here is not just so you can put a name with a face. <laughs> Why do we do it? Is because this is a testimony of God's salvation. This is a testimony of people that have gone from sons of the evil one to sons of the kingdom. Ones who, who were destined to taste what verse 42 says. That as they are harvested, that they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we, when we talked about the minor prophets, nobody wants to hear that, especially in American churches. But the sobering reality is when we live life on our own terms, and we take matters into our own hands, and we live and we think we are king and he is not, we are basically saying that we are not sons of the kingdom, but yet we are ones who belong to the rebellious evil one who has pushed against the things of God and there will be a day when God reckons what that is and uh, there will be a day of judgment where evil is purged and driven out of his kingdom right now current circumstance evil is allowed to persist and God uh, the evil one is allowed to operate and the rebellious against the living God are still here 
There will be a day when that will be no more. I pray that none of us face that reality when God in his righteous, holy judgment separate what another passage calls the sheep from the goats or those of the kingdom and those not. Because there will be a day when evil is driven out. It's sobering because then verse 43 comes on the heels of that, that the righteous will shine like the sun. Then the, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is saying, if you can hear my words, please don't let them just kind of bounce off you. If you hear my words, he says, please rest on me and receive what it is to know him as king. Because it's there that the righteous, those who are his people, not righteous in and of themselves, but righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus given to them, they will shine like the sun. He's actually quoting Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. You can go read it. Because what is that verse talking about? It's the end of time. The end of this age when, uh, when Jesus is ushering in eternity. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so the current circumstance is that evil's allowed to hang out. The future circumstance, it will be driven out and all will be made right. So here's a question. How do we live now in light of the future? I'm not sure why that's not advancing, but... Uh, let's see if that gets there. How do we live now in light of the future? Do you remember why these types of passages were written? We talked about this in eschatology in our Sunday school class. Why does God write passages about the end times, about the second coming, about the judgment, about eternity, about uh, the future glory of God's people, about hell, about judgment. Why does he write these passages? Is so that people right now living in that current circumstance where it feels like evil might be winning. Evil's still around and evil is, is gaining all sorts of ground. We can easily become discouraged. We can lose hope. We can just throw our hands up and say, you know what, it's not worth living because evil is winning. God writes these things for our encouragement. God writes these things so that we know how to live today. God is not losing. Though our eyes might not be able to see God unfolding his plan, he promises at the end of time to bring all things to, uh, to a place where they are honoring to him. It's interesting, you know, what does kingdom advancement look like? A lot of times it's not what you and I would think. You know, because if you take this idea that, that um, there's an indistinguishable nature of the weeds and the wheat, that, that probably is true even for the public gatherings of worship. That God's people and people who don't know the Lord, it might not be really obvious who knows the Lord, who is one of the kingdom, and who is not. That the visible people may not be the actual people of God. 
a sobering reality because not everybody that you see around the things of God know God. And if that disrupts you at all and you're like, how do I know where, where I am in that? Please come and talk to us after the service. We would love to uh, give you what the scriptures say, that these things were written so that you might know that you have eternal life. We would love for you to know for sure and know for certain. Because it's really interesting to me, you know, have you ever found yourself uh, kind of losing hope? Uh, found yourself uh, losing that sense of perseverance. You know, God's not working on your timeline. He's not working fast enough. I think these passages are written so that God gives us a realistic picture of the kingdom now so that we're not discouraged, but a hopeful picture of the future so that we know that God will make all things right so that we can be encouraged, we can live now in light of eternity. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that you would take your word, um, a parable that Jesus laid out. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you allow it to sink deep into our hearts? God, that we wouldn't just look for evil to be eradicated so that life can just go on uh, just without trouble. God, that's not how you uh, have unfolded your plan, and, and it's not realistic for right now. God, we long for that day, but that's not what today is. So, Father, give us endurance, give us hope, give, comfort us, uphold us, uh, sustain us, God, in that. Pray that we wouldn't be discouraged as your people. Father, I pray for those in this room that do not know if they are of the kingdom or not. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would receive you as king. God, that we would be able to introduce them to you as King Jesus. Father, uh, just thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And we pray that you would just continue to be in our midst. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.